chapter 91 and verse 14, he said, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. Then in verse 15, he says, when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. You see, when we call on the name of Jesus, it, it is not just something we do to make ourselves feel good. But when we call on the name of Jesus, it doesn't matter the trials or the tribulations or the struggles. Scripture says he answers. We have a God that tunes his ear into a, a building in New Berlin. And there are people, diverse crowd of people that have various needs. And when you mention the name of Jesus, he responds. Aren't you thankful for that today? Would you once again just lift your hands with me and could we just thank God for his presence? Thank him for all that he has done in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You've been standing for a while. You may be seated. Give me just a minute. Shakespeare uh, was noted with saying in the play Romeo and Juliet. Some of you have no idea what that is. But there's a famous line that Juliet says to Romeo. She says, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. It's a question that Shakespeare put within the play to signify that what we call someone or that what we call something is irrelevant. It's meaningless. It's pointless. It's, it's, your name is merely a placeholder. My name is David, and my name means beloved. I know there are a couple of Davids in this room today. We, we are beloved. My sisters could tell you that I have lived up to my name, that for the past 37 years, there's never been a moment where they have not loved me. But I've always, my parents will definitely tell you that I'm beloved, but I feel that I have lived up to my name, but, but Shakespeare would argue that it's irrelevant, it's unimportant, it's, it's just a name. In biblical times, a name was important, it was meaningful because it spoke to the life of an individual. Names represented identity, authority, and relationship, among other things. A name would give the most complete definition of a person and would at times carry prophetic implications with it. Take, take, for instance, Jacob. Jacob means deceiver or surplanter. Imagine getting to the age when your mom and dad bring you in and say, we called you deceiver. We thought the name just stuck when we saw you. You just, you just had that look, surplanter. And we see that as time progresses, Jacob lives up to his name. He, he, he deceives his brother. He deceives his father. That is until God changed his name. Or, or how about Ruth? Ruth meant companion or friend. And, and when her husband died and when Orpah's husband died, Orpah decided to abandon Naomi and go back to her town. But, but Ruth said, no, where, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she lives up to her name in being a companion or a friend. Or how about Solomon? Solomon meant peaceful. And of all the kings of Israel, his reign and rule was characterized by peace. He lived up to his name. And there are many more within scriptures that when we see their name, 
we see a prophetic implication of what they would live out. But there was just one problem. The, the people of God did not have a name for their God. In Scripture, the Hebrew word that was ascribed to God was Elohim. It's, it's used some 2,500 times within the pages of the Old Testament. And interpreted, it simply means God. It, it spoke of His majesty and His greatness. It, it spoke of His divine nature. It, it spoke of His creative power. But it wasn't a name. It was merely a title signifying deity. However, there came a point when God handpicked a man named Moses. Moses found himself in front of a burning bush. And God had just given him a very tall order. And Moses is wrestling with the complexities of his feelings about himself and the complexities of the job ahead. And he asks a very important question. He says, suppose when I go to this people, they ask, who sent me? What do I tell them? What, what, what's the name that I should give them? And God replies to him with a, with a very precise answer. He says, I am who I am. Thus, tell the children of Israel, I am has sent me. God said, you can call me, I am who I am. Or, or in essence, I will be what I will be. It, it simply means to exist, to become. It, it, it refers to, to someone who is eternal, who is self-existence. I am who I am. Since, since the ancient Hebrews didn't have vowels, it was captured by four letters. Y-H-W-H. And they, they didn't like to utter the name. And so we don't know exactly the pronunciation. But, but the Hebrews, we believe, would pronounce it as Yahweh. Or what we would call it in English, Jehovah. It was a name that when people asked, who's your God? Now they could give an answer. It was a name that they could pass down from generation to generation. It was a name they could teach their children. It was a name they could pray to. It was a name that was central to their beliefs and their behaviors. And Moses would share a, a fundamental command and principle with the people once they came out of bondage after 430 years in Egypt. And, and he, he didn't make up the command himself. It was a command that was given to him by God to share with the people. It's called the Shema. And, and the Jews would recite it to their children. Their children would memorize it. And this is it. It's, it's in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. And it says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, or Jehovah, our God. Jehovah is one. Verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord, or Jehovah, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Uh, unlike the, the polytheistic nations that surrounded Israel, the Lord wanted them to know that he was one, that there wasn't many gods, that there wasn't a multiplicity of God, there wasn't a different God that they could go to or turn to in times of trouble, but there is one God, and there was no God beside him, there was no God before them. Later he'll say to them, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. He doesn't want you to share him with others. And as time would progress, Jehovah 
incrementally revealed more of who he was by intervening in the lives of his people. These interventions allowed them to add adjectives after the name Jehovah. So, So for instance, Abraham, when he went and took his son Isaac up on Mount because the Lord said, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And, and, and Abraham listens to God, and he is about to plunge the knife into his son. And the Lord says, stop, because now I know you trust me, and I know you won't withhold anything from me. And, and Moses in that moment says, wow, you're Jehovah Jireh. You're the Lord. You're not just the self-existent one. You're the Lord who provides all my needs. Israel, while they were in Egypt, they, they, would, they would come to know the Lord as Jehovah Ropha, or the Lord my healer. Gideon, when, when he was perplexed and when he was going out into battle, after he comes back, he, he says, you're Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. And David, as he was on the backside of a wilderness getting to know God and, and getting to understand what it was to have a relationship with him, penned the famous Psalms 23 in which he says, You're Jehovah Roy, or the Lord my shepherd. It shows all throughout the Old Testament that God is a personal God. He's a God that desires to be known. A God that desires relationship with his people. And it shows a tried principle that is as true today as it was back then. And this is the principle. That a relationship with God always opens the door to revelation. Simply put, the more you engage in a relationship with God, the more he wants to reveal of himself to you. James would one day say, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. He says, when you take a step towards God, and you say, Lord, I'm anxious, and I'm depressed, and I have all sorts of things going on, it's in those moments that God says, let me show you really what it means to be the Prince of Peace. You, You see, we can talk about something, but it is until we experience it that we begin to know him in a more personal way. But all these compound names were leading up to a supreme name. It was a name that was high above every other name. It was a name that he would reveal to his people. And it was just mentioned a few moments ago. It was when Gabriel meets with Joseph in a dream. And Gabriel, at the encounter, says to Joseph, And she will bring forth a son, speaking of Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name would be Jesus. You have to understand something. Time did not permit me to get into the the, the really the the intricate parts, but but as you saw all throughout time, the, the Israelites wanted to know about this God. And now the most fullest, most complete revelation comes to pass, that he is Jesus. Jesus simply put, Jehovah, my salvation. That's why Gabriel would say to Joseph, he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. He was saying this isn't a second person in the Trinity. No, this is God robing himself in flesh. This is humanity, or or, or divinity rather, stepping into humanity to be with his people. 
And his name would represent the fulfillment of what God had been promising his people for thousands of years, the promise of salvation. His name would be Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. But, but I want you to know something very intriguing about Joseph's interaction with Gabriel. Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, he didn't get naming rights. Gabriel didn't collaborate with Joseph and say, what do you think we should call him? There, there was no suggestion box. There was no ask of Joseph as to what the name should be. Jo Joseph got no say in the matter. What, why, why is that important? You have to understand, in a patriarchal culture and society, it was the father's absolute right to name his child. He, he had complete rights over his children, and, and naming his children was a sign of his control and his authority over the family. And in one moment, Gabriel takes it all away from him. He shall be called. Not, not he might be called. Not he could be called. He shall be called Jesus. By refusing to let him name Jesus, the angel is really saying, if Jesus is going to be in your life, you're not going to be the one to rule. This child that's about to be born, he's the one that's going to rule and reign. Sometimes I think if we're not careful, we come to God, but with our conditions. I'll serve you as long as I don't have to give up fill in the blank. I'm interested in taking a step forward, and I'm interested in serving you as long as I don't have to do or as long as I can do X, Y, and Z. And unbeknownst to us, when we approach him that way, what we're really doing is we're trying to name him. I'll take Jesus on my terms. I'll take Jesus in my way. I want a relationship with him, but, but really only when I need him. I'll take Jesus in my troubles. And so we name him what we need him to be. That the bills are due, I need you to be my provider. I'm lonely, I need you to be my companion. And he can be all those things. But if Jesus comes in your life, you don't control him. He controls you. You don't call the shots. He's the one who directs your steps. It's not your will. It's not your dreams. Just as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it's your kingdom come. Your will be done. So when you come to Jesus, here, here's the thing. You have to drop your conditions. And this is countercultural to our Western thinking. And that's why it can be so hard for us to, to walk this road. Because we have a thing called freedom. We live in a world where I have a vote. And that flies in the face of what it is when we come to God. Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke chapter 9. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself 
take up his cross daily and follow me. In a culture that says, be true to yourself, Jesus said, no, you first have to deny yourself. In a culture that says, follow your dreams, Jesus says, surrender your dreams to me and follow me. And Gabriel said in that moment to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Paul, many years later, was, was writing a letter in prison. And the theme of the letter is joy. And as he's writing to this church in Philippi, he, he begins to think back to a moment in history where Isaiah the prophet would declare something so powerful. And he pulls back because now he has seen the revelation of Jesus. And he says in Philippians chapter 2 and 9, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul was speaking of a futuristic day. And he said, on that day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Me meaning, everyone on that day will acknowledge him in word and in deed. He said, well, whether you're willing to do it in this lifetime or not, there's coming a day when every knee is going to bow. It doesn't matter the religion that you associated with. It doesn't matter the God you worshipped. It doesn't matter if you said you were atheist or agnostic or non-religious. It doesn't matter what you chose to do or what you chose not to do. He said there's coming a day, regardless of what you did or what you did not do, where every knee is going to bend and bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Why don't you stand with me? We're not at that day yet. So here's the thing. Today, we have the opportunity to acknowledge him in everything we say and do. T today, we have the opportunity to willingly and cheerfully, joyfully, call on the name of Jesus. Paul would later say, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, well, is this one of those Jesus-only churches? No, well, according to Paul, this is a Jesus-everything church. Everything we do, everything we are, Everything that, that happens in our life, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That, that's why we boldly declare the name of Jesus. That's why we have invoked the name of Jesus over this congregation and this sanctuary in song. Because we believe there's power in the name of Jesus. And it all goes back to that dream 
where Gabriel said, you shall call his name Jesus. And then he finishes it. He says, for he shall save his people from their sin. You see, there's, there's something that you have to also understand. That not only do you not get naming rights to him, but when you call on his name, you're admitting something. You're admitting that I'm a sinner. That if, that if, that if I'm going to call on the name of Jesus, I'm, I'm taking a step in my life and realizing there's areas of my life that maybe have not been lived for him. There's things that I've done, there's things that I've said where I have fallen short. He said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means I'm not calling anyone out, but every person in this room has sinned and has fallen short. But here's the beautiful thing that Paul would write to Rome. He said, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, all you have to do is, is just call out to him. And when you call out to him, he will respond. And so they're about to sing another song here. And I, I, I don't know where you are in this place today. Maybe you've come here today and you, you feel far from God. Maybe you just can't wait for this year to be over because... 2023 has been a year to forget. Maybe you stand here today and you are chasing your son around the sanctuary. <laughs> because he wants cookies. Or, or maybe just maybe you're here today and there's, there's just confusion and chaos in your life. And you just don't know which way to turn. I can tell you that in these next moments, if you wanted to step out of your pew and come down to this altar, if you call on his name, there's an old song that says, he's just as close as the mention of his name. That means all you have to do really is whisper the name of Jesus. And he attunes his ear and he responds. So as they sing this last song, would you maybe grab the hand of the person next to you? Or maybe you want to get along with God. Maybe you want to come forward. But would you just take a moment to spend some time in the presence of God? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you today, Lord, for every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. I thank you that you've given us a name that we can call on. You said whatsoever we ask in your name, that will you do. And so I speak the name of Jesus over every father, over every mother, over every family. And I pray that right now, Lord Jesus, that you, God, would be invited into every home, that you would be invited into every life, that you would touch Jesus today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.